Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits, people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the recovery programs that assist those suffering directly or indirectly from addiction to drugs, alcohol, gambling and food. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight the shared experience of those lives. Today, my two guests are members of FoodX and Recovery Anonymous. Uh, so welcome to the show, Ellie and Joyce. Hi. Hi, Bill. Hello. Ellie's from New South Wales, and Joyce is joining us from California. So our usual format is to talk about your life journey and the things that influenced you growing up, where your problems with food took you, and how your life changed in recovery. So Ellie, uh, would you like to start by giving us an insight into your early family life and teenage years? I am the oldest of four children and I grew up in a home that was very loving. I had two parents who were both just very supportive and I guess focusing on the food, I never had any real issues that I can remember um, other than I just loved food and I loved eating. I grew up in a house where there was a lot of whatever I wanted to have. There was a pantry full of food and there was a fridge full of food and I could help myself to whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, any time of the day or night. And I did. I, but I don't remember having a problem till later on, until I kind of hit my teenage years, early teenage years. And I noticed that my body had changed and I wasn't happy with the way that I was looking and feeling. And then that was when I started to turn to more secretive eating and kind of stashing away products in secret, hiding from my family what I was doing, particularly around, you know, like breakfast products, stuff that I kind of felt like I knew I shouldn't be eating, but it made me feel better to, to have that. It's ironic and it feels like a, a cruel irony that when I looked at my body and didn't like the way that I looked, I tried to make myself feel better through food, which made me put on weight. Yeah. So looking back, did you have a good relationship with your siblings? I did. I was always called a good little girl. I was good as gold and was kind of like a second mum in a way. There was a bit of an, it was spread out over 10 years and I did kind of take on that parenting role a little bit. My dad was, he worked really hard. He's in the medical profession and he, he wasn't around as much. My mum was a full-time parent and I still get pulled up on that now today that I have this overdeveloped sense of responsibility and tell my siblings what to do when I shouldn't be doing that. That's a parenting job and I get confused around that. Yeah, quite close with, with all my siblings, really. We actually have a good relationship today. Yeah. yeah. So what about school? Did you have friends at school? I did. I was a very studious little academic kid at school. I didn't really know how to do anything other than that. I just always wanted to do, you know, be a good girl and do the right thing and get approval from everyone. And, you know, people used to comment as well on, you know, how I was so pretty and I loved hearing that. I just wanted to everyone to approve of me and to be, you know, to be the right good little girl. And I had friends. I had my friends were all considered, I guess, quite good 
kids as well, like quite high achieving students. And I always actually felt in secondary school that I was less than, that I was never as smart as my friends. I had, I mean, some of my friends in year 12 ended up, you know, doing some of the best in the year level. They were really high achieving students, you know, getting into law and medicine. Yeah, I, I did well, but I was always afraid of not being smart enough and good enough. And my, my younger brother in particular is a really smart kid who just, I felt like everything just fell into his lap and I had to work hard <laughs> to be able to do well. Yeah. Yeah. So did that anxiety lead you to food, do you think? Oh, absolutely. I don't think I put the two and two together so early on, even though I knew that it made me feel better when I was eating. But yeah, I I got obsessed with diets in my teenage years. I mean, I felt like that was normal because a lot of my, I followed one of my friends into Weight Watchers. I was obsessed with point counting and also mucking around playing games to try and eat less some days because I would binge on the other days when I was, you know, so it was just like a big game, but I really was desperate to try and, and change. And I always looked at the girls in my school as having perfect little skinny legs and skinny bodies. And that's, I just never felt like I looked like that. And I wanted to, it was a big obsession for me just to wear jeans. I felt like I couldn't wear jeans as a teenager. I didn't look good enough. That's uh, crazy, isn't it? Yes. Um, so do you want to just sort of describe uh, what you call a binge? Well, yeah, that's actually a good question. I don't know if I've exactly thought about, yeah, binges, are, I know it might be different for different people, but for me, a binge is kind of like when I start on something that I, I feel like I, I know that I don't want to be eating and shouldn't be eating because it's, you know, quote unquote bad. And then it's like it opens the floodgates. It starts this kind of itch inside me. It's like this monster comes out and I just want to shut my brain off and eat. It's like I need to get the next hit. It feels like that's where I can see when I started to understand addiction and and food as a drug, I can really relate that back. But I didn't know that's what it was for me at the time. Yeah, it just feels like a raging monster that just needs to eat and eat and eat until it's like my brain can numb out completely. And I get that relief when I just kind of can go and take a breath and I feel better. And whatever is causing me to feel anxious or stressed, or usually that's what it was. It was a lot of anxiety. It's relieved. It's temporarily relieved. And also it's a way to procrastinate. Like For me, I just have this strong association of particularly when I'm studying in the past, you know, I'd be having to write a university assignment and I wouldn't know where to start. I wouldn't know. It was all overwhelming. I just thought, I I don't, I don't know. So I would go straight to the pantry and I would sit there and hand to mouth, you know, and it would make me feel so much better because I could distract myself with that. And then maybe it would give me enough. I don't know, it would calm me enough that I could then try and focus my brain. But at that point, usually I was feeling all sluggish and kind of, yeah, brain fogged out. Mm. Did it impact your relationships, your eating at that point? Yeah, it did. My friends all knew in, in secondary that I was like the one who was on a diet, you know, and they would kind of make jokes about it. And I was embarrassed because my friends, like a couple of them, you know, also were into diets, but not all of them. And here I was feeling like I was always the one who was a little bit overweight. I wasn't that overweight. I was probably a normal weight actually, but I felt huge. And I just had this like obsession, like it was this side project my whole life that I just wanted to change how I looked. And so it was always a topic of conversation, but I wanted it not to be. And then into my early twenties, 
I went through episodes where when the binging got worse, I would withdraw and I would stop going out. So I would make arrangements with friends and then cancel at the last minute. Or there was like a party or, you know, a gathering, a social thing, and I would feel fine. And then I wouldn't feel fine if I had a binge that day or if I just looked at my cupboard and I put my clothes on and I felt a bit tight and I would all of a sudden I could shift my mood from feeling fine one minute and then I would feel miserable and hopeless and feel like I can't get dressed. I just, I can't, I can't do this. It's too hard. And I, I would just not, there's been times when I would just like call in sick essentially to a, a party or something and then just not show up. And times, many, many, many times when I didn't want to go out and didn't want to catch up with my friends, even though we'd maybe made an arrangement, but I didn't really have a, a proper reason that I felt was justifiable or I was too ashamed to say I felt bad. So I just would ignore their calls and texts. And it happened so many times when then I would get another message and then another message saying, are you okay? What's going on? And then I'd feel like an idiot because, and I'd feel like a bad friend. And it was a genuine fear that I would lose friends because I stopped being a friend by kind of cancelling on them. And thank God today I've, you know, I've actually got some really good friends that are still from, from my school days. Yeah. And my family as well. I was hiding what I was doing with the food around them and feeling shame around it. So that was it definitely, it was affecting every part of my life really when it was, and I wasn't always like that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I might cross over to you, Joyce. So I guess a similar question, you know, early family life and um, teenage, early uh, adult years. You know, I'm one of those people who truly believes I was born a food addict. I think I make my disease started in utero. I'm 65 years old. And when I was born in the mid fifties, babies are like five pounds. And I came out, I was 10 pounds. <laughs> they thought I was twins. And, you know, it was back in the day too, when a chubby baby was a healthy baby. So, so it was sort of encouraged. And back then formula for, for babies was filled with a lot of sugar and, you know, whether that caused my food addiction or just contributed to it, I don't really know, but a big part of it was also my parents are first generation Americans. Their parents came over from Europe in the late 1800s, early 1900s, escaping from a lot of deprivation. They were peasants, they were farmers. And so, you know, they came to America, this land of abundance. And I think they brought with them this feeling that if you have a little now, you might as well like grab as much as you can, you know, eat as much today as you can, because you don't know if the next meal is coming tomorrow. So food just really occupied a central portion of my life. I'm an only child and my parents were older when they had me back then. My mother was almost 40 and, you know, I just have these really fond memories. My most significant fondest memories are centered around food. And I didn't think that was abnormal. I mean, I can paint you pretty pictures of my mother, my father and me sitting around the kitchen table eating meals like for hours on end. And, you know, when my mother passed away, the one thing I wanted to save of hers was her little recipe box. And part of it was because of her handwriting, <laughs> but honestly it was, I didn't want those recipes to get lost. Sugar, flour, quantities, fat, all just really called to me. And my parents were also kind of large, whether they were food addicts or not, I don't know, but 
they were big. I mean, they were both taller than I was. And I think I outweighed my father at the height of my food addiction. And, you know, my mother was giving me her clothing when I was in junior high and high school. I mean, I was that big then. I was always bigger, taller, but but also fatter than than all of my peers. You know, and and like I said, food played such a central part in my life. As, As kids, we'd get on our bicycles and go to the convenience store in town and gather up our pennies and nickels and buy as much as we can. And, you know, it was all sugary, sweet stuff. I was pretty pudgy as a kid. I slimmed down in my teens because a friend of mine convinced me that I needed to be on the swim team. And I think it's just because she didn't want to do it on her own. (laughs) And so we were exercising like crazy. So I was in a somewhat normal body through high school just because of all the exercise I was doing. And it kind of continued, that level of activity continued through college. I mean, I enjoyed athletics, so I stayed in kind of a normal size body through college, but the weight really started coming on with a vengeance once I graduated from college. Um, But I too went on my first diet at, I think was 13, and really just fell into that trap of diet, lose the weight, feel good about myself, don't know how to celebrate (laughs) other than with food or diet, feel good about myself, and then would be faced with feelings. A lot of my my food addiction is based in, in the emotional, not having the emotional skills to deal with life. I mean, to this day, I'm still working on, on emotions, but you know, if my family was happy, we'd eat. If we're sad, we'd eat. Um, It's just, it was just the common reaction for us to life. You know, I don't have a whole lot of memories of anger or sadness. It was just happy, eat. (laughs) So you're talking about as a kid buying, I guess what we call today, junk food and sugary stuff. So were your friends doing the same sort of things or were you unusual in, in your attraction to the food? You know, I think I probably surrounded myself with friends who were doing the same thing. You know, when I grew up, there were lots of families on our street that had lots of kids around the same age. And, and we all knew who had the best stuff in their house. You know, I never wanted to go to that house because they had the healthy snacks, but you wanted to go to this family's house because they had all the good stuff. I mean, I (laughs) think with me, like today, I could literally paint you a picture of what my girlfriend Susie's kitchen looked like because her mother had a sweet drawer. And we would go and we'd open up the sweet drawer and pick out whatever we wanted. And that's kind of sad because I, I couldn't describe in, in the same level of detail what Susie looked like or her brother, her mother, her father. So. so how did it affect your relationships then with other people? Did food get in the way of other people? I really do believe it did. You know, in high school, I, I suppose maybe even in junior high school is when boys start asking out girls or start expressing interest in the opposite sex. I had none of that. I was a good kid, goody two shoes. Um, I excelled in academics and, you know, I, I looked around once I got into high school and all of my friends, my girlfriends were all dating. They had boyfriends and I didn't. And, you know, I think the food stunted me emotionally but I would much rather stay at home with my parents on a Friday night or Saturday night and play board games and eat because we were big snackers than go out on a date. I mean, boys scared me and food was 
was my happy place. It was the comfortable place for me to be. So, yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, continue that on through college. I never really dated. Um, I think I did go on my first date in college, but just could not have a really healthy relationship because I, it was more about the food. I would share a meal with you and I'd be thinking more about how fast are you eating? How fast am I eating? Oh, I'm eating too fast. Oh, what are you having? Oh, I'd like to have that, but I'm not going to have that in front of you. Just like a lot of crazy thoughts in my head. So yeah, it got definitely got in my way of relationships. Okay. Well, listen, we might take a short break there. You're listening to the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then you can head to your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our webpage, you'll also find details about the Living Free Show and how you can contact us. Today, I'm talking with Ellie and Joyce. We're talking about their journey and recovery from food addiction through Food Acts and Recovery Anonymous. So Joyce, to follow on with you, you know, you're talking about going through college and the difficulties with you know, having relationships and things like that. But did things change once you started work? Oh, yeah, they did. And not for the better. <laughs> I was on my own, just starting a career. I majored in engineering. And when I graduated, there weren't a whole lot of women in the field. I was very often the first or the only or one of maybe one or two people. And I'm, I'm basically a shy introvert. And, and so there were a lot of eyeballs on me in, in my early career. And I just felt so uncomfortable. And because I feel like the spotlight was on me a lot, I felt like I had to do way better than my peers who were men. So I got into this pattern of coming in to work early, working really hard through the day, staying late and bringing work home. And work was pretty much all I had. You know, I, I didn't really have romantic relationships. I just didn't know how to do them. So I just didn't do them. And my professional career took off, but my personal life just got smaller and smaller and smaller. And interestingly enough, at the height of my food addiction, I was 242 pounds. So I graduated from college at pretty close to a normal weight. And I put on, I think it was five pounds a year for the following 20 years until I came into recovery. So that's a hundred pounds. And as I said, my professional life, I, you know, at the height of my career, I was a vice president of, of thus and such and had literally hundreds of people reporting to me, very successful, but I was single. I was miserable. I was working all the time. And, you know, I used food to basically fuel that, you know, because I felt I had to get up early and stay up late to do all that. And, and food was really the center of my life. And there's not much else I could talk about. My social life was entirely built around food. You know, I had eating buddies and girlfriends and we'd go out and we'd eat and drink. And that was it. So it was pretty small life. Yeah. Do you want to talk about, you know, sort of the, the typical going out to eat with friends? You know, on, on one hand, it was like great. And on the other hand, it was just torture. So there's one particular friend who I had and we used to have, you know, I want to call it eating contests, but we set it up so that every other month, one of us would pick the restaurant and the other one would pay. And then the next month, the person would pick the restaurant, the other one would pay. And the level of elegance and sophistication of the meals and the places just escalated. 
I mean, to the point where we were spending hundreds of dollars a night on food. And with this eating buddy, it was like game on. <laughs> it was like almost a contest to see who could eat more to raise the bill to stick it to the other person. <laughs> and, you know, that now I know is not really healthy. But with girlfriends, we'd pick restaurants and we'd like, do you want appetizers? I don't know. Do you want appetizers? And it's sort of like we'd look for permission from each other to get this and that. And, you know, it wasn't a good night out unless I was like moaning and groaning and swearing I'd never do it again. And we'd do it again the next weekend. Or in my 20s and 30s, a lot of socialization was done after work with alcohol and food and people would go for happy hour after after work and my girlfriends would go oh i'm so full you know i'm not going to have dinner when i get home and i knew darn well that i was going to have dinner when i got home and it's just you know it's just a sign of my social discomfort and it was the only way i knew to soothe myself yeah so you know talking about coming home and eating would you just do what you considered normal when you came home after a, a big night if I was coming home from work or believe it or not, the gym or, you know, a night out and it was like two o'clock in the morning, the first thing I would do is open up the refrigerator. I think the path that was worn the most in my house was from the front door to the refrigerator. I mean, I, I think I truly believe that the answers to life, the answers to my discomfort were in the refrigerator or the cupboards. And I'd always have a snack, always have a snack before I went to bed, no matter how full I was. Was shopping an issue for you? Shopping for food? Was it something that you was you're attracted to buying food or something that you didn't like doing? Oh no, I loved I loved going shopping for food. I loved finding, you know, the newest, fanciest gourmet stores. I remember ordering gourmet this and that. Well, before they had a computer with like catalogs. Um, but oh yeah. But you know, it was also not just the gourmet stuff, it was the the cheapest stuff I could get the most of um, just to fill myself up. Mm. So did you go for bulk buying? Um, I don't know. You know, like my thing was a variety. I love variety. You know, so I'll get a small package of this, a small package of that, because then that's the only way I can figure out which one I like. So I can go back for that later. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, if you're talking about bulk is in like bin food, um, definitely. So just, yeah, I'm a quantities girl. So with all that eating, were you trying to diet or were you trying to exercise or were you trying to do something to alleviate that? I was always trying to do something. I mean, I probably burned through every single commercial diet there is. I was never a big fan of uh, magazine diets for whatever reason. If a friend of mine lost weight and she was seeing a nutritionist, I'd go and, you know, sign up with that nutritionist. You know, I mean, I've, I've eaten, I used to call it gerbil food. It just the prepackaged stuff that tasted awful, you know, hoping the portion control would work, but I could never stay within the lines of whatever the diet, you know, like with Weight Watchers, I check off all the boxes and it would only be breakfast. And, you know, what did I do with the rest of the meals? So I tried, but I'm, I'm that person who dieted her way up to 242 pounds um, because, you know, I never really dealt with the underlying emotional issues that caused me to eat. So what, what triggered you to look for help? You know, it wasn't me. Believe it or not, I met a guy <laughs> before the internet, there were classified ads and I, I met a guy through an online ad and 
He was a therapist who specialized in addictions. His practice was built around 12-step recovery, and he had gotten a brochure from a treatment center where he had done some continuing education, and they just started a program for people with issues with food. And he and I had started to get serious to the point where he had a two-year-old daughter when we started dating, and, and he said, you know, I'd like you to be around for her. And the way you're going, it's not going to happen. I mean, I love you as you are, but I'm thinking about her. And so I took that brochure and it sat in my desk for about a year, but I finally got really miserable, really miserable. Physically, I couldn't find clothes that fit, let alone be fashionable. I was on the ropes at work. I was going to get fired. And I thought, here's my ticket out. And so I checked myself into a treatment center. And that's what began my journey in recovery. Yeah. That's good. It's good to hear. Ellie, how about you? You know, going through uni, coming out the other side, um, starting work. How did your eating progress as you became an adult and moved into life? Well, I, I guess I want to say that I didn't move into life very quickly. I was at uni ongoing for so long um, and figuring out I was just kind of like a lost soul. I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing and couldn't figure out my path. I came out of school. I just had no idea what I was supposed to do. And then essentially went from being a really, you know, good student in school to kind of a university dropout, really. I really turned to the food in a big way. When I was about 18, my parents were going through a really messy separation. I just didn't know how to cope with that. And it was probably quite traumatic looking back, but I, I was actually quite ashamed and didn't know how to talk about it. So that was when I found that food really helped me just to yeah, get through that. And that for me was the first time I piled on weight. I put on about 10 kilos in the space of about three months. And for me, my weight was like a yo-yo. I never really managed to lose a lot. I tried always when I was dieting to lose, but for me, I just found the weight kind of came off more when I wasn't trying and I wasn't fixated on my body. When other things in life were going well, then I inevitably, my, my weight just kind of settled a little bit. But I got really into this whole idea of kind of nourishing myself and feeling really like I knew better than all the diets out there and becoming angry at the fact that I had this like inbuilt counting system for points in my head and tried to let go of that kind of in my early 20s, I think it was, and just looked for an, a more kind of wholesome, a different way that would work. So I was always looking for a solution to kind of fix my obsession with my body and my, my weight and just to kind of find a permanent solution, knowing that diets don't work and feeling like I knew better. So my, my solution was to learn as much as I possibly could about diets and eating you know, I'm not a professional in the area, but oh boy, did I, I learn so much about what nutrients, you know, you needed to eat what foods with what to increase what absorption. And I think it was through my boyfriend that I got onto this whole ketogenic phase that was before it really became a, a craze that I felt like it's kind of took off recently. I feel like everyone's talked about keto or paleo, but I, I really, really in a big way. And I, for me, it's like when I learn something new that is like, it just makes sense. I really got obsessed and, and really thought I'm going to overhaul my whole way of doing it and try this new way and read as much literature as I possibly could. And also I've, I've like, I've read books about different foods and 
and vegetarianism. I, I tried that. And I, while I was doing that at the same time, I would have a binge on, on some days and I would go to the supermarket that wasn't close to home, like on the way home from, from uni. And so I know that I wouldn't really bump into anyone there and just buy a bunch of just cheap, easy binge food for me, which is just packets of, you know, biscuits and whatever chocolates and just hide all the wrappers when I was done because I was so embarrassed that I was doing that. And also then going against what I was so vocal about, you know, projecting to my family and friends that I was this like, you know, righteous person and doing all the right things but then actually wasn't really sticking to my ideals more than 50% of the time but I felt like I just kind of was power like I couldn't stop myself yeah so did that sort of set up an, an internal conflict with you this wanting to be much better but always falling back to the junk food yeah for sure and I felt like because of that I was really ashamed when I was eating and it really set up a real pattern for me that was set up from when I was younger, but it just got worse and worse, you know, feeling like I had to hide what I was doing. I mean, I loved also cooking and baking and experimenting and trying different things with different recipes. I grew up surrounded by that. That's what I knew that like, I just wanted to be part of the food. I, I loved it, but I did try other things as well, like hypnotherapy at one point. And, you know, I did see different dietitians and nutritionists, but it was just like yeah, this big secret that like I was actually not eating the way that I said I was. And it was embarrassing. And obviously I wasn't eating the way that I said I was because I was overweight sometimes. And then other times I wasn't. But when I was overweight, you don't get overweight just by, you know, not eating. It's by putting food in, you know. <gasps> Yeah. So did you find that yourself that you couldn't possibly tell people what you were doing? Yeah, I was hiding the food that I was eating. I mean, it got to the point where when I was with my boyfriend before I came into FA, um, I would go and buy all this like healthy food and cook a healthy dinner um, and pretend that I was hungry and ready for dinner when he came home from work I, I do shift work um so there were, I had more time to kind of be around and, and and make food but I had been out during the day eating a whole bunch of other stuff and I felt sick from that so I pretended to my closest family and friends that I was eating a certain way when I wasn't I didn't ever want to keep too much food in the house because I was afraid of eating it so I, I kind of minimized how much I had available. But then every day it got to the point when it was bad enough that every day I was going past shops to go and buy certain foods or try not to eat it because then that day I was trying to do, you know, to be good and not eat it. But then it got to the point where it felt like torture. And there was always lines that I crossed that I said I never would do. Like I would never go out of my way specifically just to buy food, just to have a binge. And then, of course, I did that. And then I did it many times. And then I went and bought other foods that I said I would never eat until I found myself in the middle of the day on a Wednesday or whatever during the week eating at a Chinese restaurant, you know, having a food that I didn't even care that much about. But it was like an experience that I just felt like I wanted to tick off my list. And so I did that. But I was so embarrassed. Like if anyone had seen me that I knew, I would have died of embarrassment. Okay, thanks. Listen, we might take another short break. You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. 
We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. This is a Living Free show on 3CR Digital and live streaming on 3cr.org.au. And I'm talking with Ellie and Joyce, and we're talking about their journey and recovery from food addiction through Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous. So Ellie, just to continue on, eating sort of out of control in real terms. So what was it that triggered you to look for help? It was getting to the point for me where I felt so miserable and like, I didn't have a reason to be miserable. I had everything that was good going for me. You know, I had I had a job at that point. I just started my job, yeah, in my late 20s. That was like my career. And I had a boyfriend. I had, you know, friends and family. And I was, it just felt like I was living a good life. And yet I was so miserable. And I just couldn't fix my problem. And I felt like I tried and tried and nothing had worked. And I had been diagnosed with clinical depression in the past. At that point, I wasn't on any medication for that, but I knew what it felt like to just feel like there was no hope and it was getting worse. And I remember lying on my bed at one point saying to my boyfriend, just feeling so sorry for myself. And he was saying, I don't know if this is going to work between us. Like I was single-handedly destroying our relationship because I was miserable and I just felt all the self-pity and like no one could help me and I didn't know what to do. And so what did you do? I subscribed to all these health and wellness blogs and emails and um, it was through an email that I got. But it was someone talking about a program that was based online. It was um, a program based in America that talked about food addiction and talked about flour and sugar in particular and you could pay a whole lot of money to join this program that was like an eight-week intensive program. I think it was 550 Australian dollars that I paid, but it, it was like this magical solution. It, and it just, the first time I'd heard addiction linked with food, with eating, I, I had done the I Quit Sugar program before, which I hadn't done. It was an eight, anyway, but this this particular thing I, I did, I joined, I paid all this money and it, it worked. It was like the first time ever that, I found something that worked. It was, it was a miracle. It was amazing. I actually lost weight consistently and I stuck to it for about three months, which for me is a lifetime when I'd never stuck to anything else before for more than, I don't know, a few days. And then all of a sudden I found out my grandmother had died unexpectedly overseas and I was on a plane with like just a few hours notice. And as soon as the meal arrived on the plane, I just thought, oh, well, I'll go back to doing this when I get home, but it's too hard right now. So I'm not even going to try. And then spent that whole week that I was there with family and grieving, surrounded by food, and I could not stop eating. It was painful. It was the first time I had really, it was like painful to eat um, and I couldn't stop. And then I came home and I spent the next six months knowing about FA. I also found out about it because funnily enough, at the same time that I did this online program, I was nannying for someone while I was finishing off studies who had been in, who was in FA and she had lost half her body weight literally and kept it off. And for me, it was the keeping it off that blew my mind. I didn't know that was possible. And more than that, she had something about her that 
was really attractive. She was calm. Her house was a bit chaotic with all these kids and newborn babies. And she didn't yell or scream, raise her voice. She was just like this kind of calm center of gravity. I just, I was amazed at, I couldn't put my finger on it, but something about that I want, I knew I wanted. And so through this program I did, they mentioned addiction and I knew to, I Googled FA. Yeah, I knew it was there. I knew it was there, but I didn't want to do it. So what, what drove you to it? I tried for about six months to go back to what I was doing when I came back from that trip overseas. Not every day, but initially I, I kind of thought, no, I'm going to do this on my own again. I'm going to go back to what I was doing because I didn't want to do FA. I knew that it involved a whole lot of tools, like making phone calls and having a sponsor and going to meetings. And it all just, and I didn't also want someone else telling me what to do. I was desperate to try it on my own. And it had worked to me. I'd found this magical solution. So I was desperate for it to keep working. And I kind of tried. And then there were days when I just woke up and I thought, I'm not, I can't even try today. I'm just going to, I just want to eat. And I I start work early and I would go past a service station on my way to work and just pick up whatever I could find that was cheap and easy and nasty at that point. And just also feeling like I had to get out of my, like get it, get it, ticket off the list. You know, I knew that it involved obviously giving up flour and sugar, having done that before. And I was so, I was terrified. I thought, if I join this program, it's the last thing I have left and I have to do it properly. Like what else is there left for me to try? And if I don't give it my all, then I don't know what's left and I can't face that. That thought, that prospect of having nothing else to try is too depressing. So because I'm going to do it properly when I do it, now I'm going to have to eat everything possible that I'm never going to be able to eat ever again. So I did crazy things like driving across town to go and buy like, you know, a certain thing from a specialist market and I thought I've ticked that off my list and then I did that twice more before I ended up dragging myself into the program I, I tried a few times I, I drove to a meeting and then ate on the way there and couldn't bring myself to go into the rooms so I just turned around and drove home and then I did turn up to a couple of meetings and I, I still didn't start and I just knew I, I I just knew I had to start I thought if I don't do this when am I ever going to do this? And I'd put on more weight than I'd ever put on before. When I came in, I was nearly 80 kilos, which for me, I'm nearly five foot, about five foot four. It's overweight. And I just felt, I just felt disgusting. That's eventually how I started FA. I I just one day started. I, I went to a meeting. I heard someone share a story that I really identified with. And I had a phone list of people to call. And I thought, I need, I just need to get a sponsor right now. If I don't start today, then I'm never going to start. I just have to bite the bullet and do it. And that's how I got started. So how's it changed your life? My goodness. It's just my whole life is so much better today. I'm so, so grateful I did. It makes me emotional thinking about it. It was just over four years ago that I started. And I feel like my life really turned around. First of all, I lost the weight. For the first time ever, I got into a body that for me, feels like a right size body. And I, I didn't have to try. It was like, I didn't have to battle my way down there. I just had to follow the plan that was given to me by my sponsor and it took care of itself. So that was the first thing I lost the weight and I've maintained that weight loss since then. And that continues to blow my mind today that I, I haven't had to battle. So it, it was like a battle before. And today it just feels like not that I have let go of that that is in the hands of my sponsor today and 
also my higher power. I, I had to go through the process of discovering a higher power, something greater than myself that I just have to hand everything over to. It meant for me that I could stop being in control. I struggle with that still. And I, I find that I want to, you know, I get anxious about what's out of my control today, but I just really thought, no, this is too hard for me. All right. I'm giving this over to something else. This is not my problem today. But the other ways it's changed my life is that, you know, I mentioned that I was essentially a university dropout. I was, I was failing. And today I'm studying my master's. I'm halfway through doing a thesis for my master's. I just found out a couple of days ago, I got a scholarship for next year, a significant amount of money for my workplace. I'm working in a job that I love. And I feel like when I turn up, I get to do it properly. I'm not, you know, thinking about, I just want to get out of here so I can eat and get home and get the relief of my day being over and, and binging. And, you know, the fact that I can sit today and do study, which is quite, I find really challenging and sit there and do it without eating is just unbelievable. It means to me that I can do things that I find hard, that I was too embarrassed to say I found hard and do them. You know, if it's as simple as writing a text message to someone that I don't quite know what to say, I don't know, I, I can call someone and say, hey, I'm just finding this really hard right now. Can you, can you give me can you help me through this? And it's amazing. You know, someone will, will answer my call and, and give me that assistance, you know, that I can talk things through. I've learned a lot in the way of how to have relationships with people and how to show up even when I, I don't feel like it. I've got good relationships with both my parents today and with my siblings, with my friends. I don't know. I feel like I've got this hope today that I didn't have in the past. Like I, I just feel a sense of wellness and, you know, when things are hard and particularly at the moment, the way that things are and in Melbourne here, uh, you know, the COVID situation, the pandemic, everything's been so uncertain, you know, I, one minute I can feel full of anxiety about the unknown and then just feel like, you know what, it's okay. I don't, I don't have to figure it out. It's not my problem today. Really, I have my recovery program and if I focus on weighing and measuring my food, and work my, my program, you know, things will take care of themselves. And they have, yeah, everything has worked out for me in ways that I don't always expect. Yeah, I think it's called living. I think once you start living yourself, everything else takes care of itself. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so what about you, Joyce? I think when we finished talking with you, you're talking about going into a treatment center. So how did that change your life? probably is the most significant event in my life in terms of changing the trajectory that I was on. When I was released from the treatment center, I had a lot of hope. I lost five pounds from five days being in, in a treatment center. So being analytical, I thought five pounds, five, it's a pound a day. Just imagine what I can do in a hundred days. And so I came out of the treatment center with a lot of conviction. As it turns out, there were several meetings of 12-step programs around food. I, I cycled through a few different programs before I landed in FA. And those meetings are all within walking distance of my house. So I think there was some higher power looking out for me. I married the guy who um, suggested that I go into treatment. And that's really what started this amazing change in my life. You know, I think to, to fast forward probably about seven or eight years after I got out of the treatment center, you know, I 
I started going to meetings and working the program and I lost weight. You know, I had a sponsor I was sponsoring. I ended up having to move across country and, and I landed in California about 20 years ago. And I think about three or four months after uh, I came to California is when I found F.A. And a couple months after I found F.A., my husband, my then husband, committed suicide. It, to this day, it's, it's a little over 18 years ago, to this day, it sends chills down my spine because, you know, I truly believe that people come into our lives for a reason. And when that reason is done, they move on. I truly believe the reason he came into my life was to bring me into recovery. Because of that, I have this conviction that I'm never going to leave. I'm not the person who came in and has been abstinent, what we call abstinent, which is kind of the equivalent of, of clean and sober for all these 18 years I've been around, um, but I've never left as a testament to him because my life has changed so much. Yes, absolutely. The weight, you know, I've lost over a hundred pounds and kept it off for over 18 years. That is nothing shy of a miracle. I have friends like I never had before, you know, before I had eating buddies and, and people who, you know, we talk about current events, but in this program, I've learned to ask for help, to graciously receive help. And again, going through the period after my husband's death, and these people are still in my life and we talk deep and real. And that is not who I was. I didn't want to have anything to do with emotions. God help me if I were to cry. This fellowship, you know, has given me physical, emotional, and spiritual support like I've never gotten before. And, you know, I, I pretty much consider it my mission on earth to just give back, give back what I've so generously been given. You know, one of the huge gifts I have is neutrality around food. I mean, to tell a food addict, <laughs> the, the kid that would binge out of the refrigerator before mom and dad came home, the teenager who would, you know, it, that I have neutrality around food is nothing short of a miracle. You know, I've been through a lot of things in this program, been able to do it without turning to food. And then people have looked at me cross-eyed and it sent me back to the food. You know, I think I, I want to put that out there because you don't have to do it perfectly. You just have to do it a day at a time. And I keep dragging my butt here. So, you know, with the grace of my higher power. I've been abstinent for a little over eight years. And the other thing that I think the other gift I've gotten is I have a rhythm to my life now. You know, there's, we go to three meetings a week. We make a certain number of phone calls a day. There's a whole daily ritual and routine that we follow. And I think before I was just, um, you know, it was like the wild child who did whatever she wanted to, whenever she wanted to. And I really craved having boundaries, you know, so I have boundaries around what I eat, when I eat, how I eat, where I eat, and it gives me a lot of comfort. Can I ask you about not being abstinent and coming to meetings and not being abstinent and coming to meetings? Do you want to talk about that cycle and how you felt, I guess, coming in and realizing that you'd, you'd broken, but you were coming back again and people's acceptance of you? Yeah, you know, I think the story I tell myself in my head is worse than anything that people think about me. <laughs> you know, I'm having a break going back to the food. I mean, it could be as simple as, you know, having an extra piece of fruit because I felt like it. 
versus sitting down and having a whole extra meal, depending on how bad I was emotionally, I just have a whole lot of shame. Shame and guilt like run through my bloodstream. And and I'm I'm a liar. I hide, I obfuscate, you know, I lie by omission. So I would cover up my my slips, trips, and falls a lot until the denial got so great that I couldn't hold it down any longer. And probably one of the most humbling, but honestly humiliating things for me would be to call a sponsor to say, you know, I I broke, I ate this, I, I didn't do that. And I've been always met with nothing but love and support. Okay, let's help pick you up and start all over again. That's all you need to do, just simply resume. So, you know, I judge myself more in my head than people People in this program just love you till you can love yourself. And that's been really important for me. Yeah, I think that is important. So what about you supporting people in your fellowship who are going through the same difficulties? Well, you know, I think probably for the first five or 10 years I was in program, if anybody had a death in their family, they say, call, call Joyce, <laughs> call Joyce. And and I, you know, I was glad to do the service because um, I was able to help people with, you know, things to do and things not to do. You know, I list service, gratitude, action, and service are sort of three cornerstones of, of what we do in FA. And to be able to, to help someone through hard times is, is a real gift. And being a sponsor, really just helping, reaching out to fellows who might need an extra hug or virtual hug in these times. I'm not that person. I wasn't that person before I came into recovery. You know, I do what looked good on the outside, but to do it for my heart, not so much. But today I like to think I do it for my heart because people have done it for me. Yeah, it's a good feeling, isn't it? Both ways. To find out more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, you can phone them in Australia on 1800 717 446 or go online at for local meetings and contact information. So that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Ellie and Joyce for joining us and sharing their recovery experience with us. Thank you both. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Good. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week uh, when we'll be talking about recovery from addiction, from drugs, alcohol, food and gambling, and for families and friends of addicts. Uh, thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. Yeah, join me at 11 every Friday for some black and deadly sound. Please share Community Radio 855 on the AM dial. Voice of the people's appeal. Black and deadly Friday, Robbie Fort Radic Radio. Black and deadly Friday, Robbie Fort Radic Radio. Black and deadly Friday, Robbie Fort Radic Radio.